Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. One of the reasons I became a coach uh, to get back to being an entrepreneur and have the flexibility to do these things from home so that I could see my kids grow up. You know, see, my, my dad, um, God rest his soul, he passed away in 2005 uh, Memorial Day. Uh, my dad was amazing, great influence, best friend, looked up to him, my rock star hero, and I'm really fortunate and blessed to have him as dad and learned a lot from him. Tremendous strength. Welcome to the On The Edge Podcast with your host, Scott Groves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am here with my longtime friend, I would say, Matt Drink On, Drink On, which- Drink On. In what what world did I not, so here's what happened. I think I've heard you say your last name before, and then I'm like, "There's, there's just no way. There's no way that his name is so cool, it's Drink On. Like, Drink On, man. Party on, Wayne. And so, uh, when I every time Party I look on, at this, there you go. Every time I look at the spelling of your name, I'm like, there's no way. So, Matt Drinkon is uh, a buddy of mine from Front Row Dads. And what's great is that because of Front Row Dads and because of the focus is being a better husband, father, person, um, I don't know a lot about what you do. Like everybody else who's interesting in my world, I know you came from that Cutco background and now you uh, do very, very well in leadership coaching have had a few Fortune 50 companies in there that you're coaching their leadership teams. So walk us through the journey, because all I know about you is you used to play a lot of golf. I know you broke your back, and you're yeah. great. You're a great dad, and that's all I know about you, other than the fact that you're fucking awesome. So give us the give us the business digest, uh, Reader's Digest bio on your business history. Business Digest bio in my business history might sound something like this. Uh, I first started off, uh, you know, cutting grass and waiting <laughs> tables. You know, and I decided at a young age uh, that that wasn't going to be for me. I enjoyed the uh, the fresh air outside. I enjoyed being on a golf course. And I enjoyed serving people, waiting tables. But that was always going to be an engine to get me somewhere else. You know, develop that skill. I had to pay for college. Uh, so that was that was how it started. And then it went to Cutco Knives. Everybody I know a- sells Cutco Knives huge fan of. Uh, I can speak to my experience. It was amazing. It was an absolute amazing change the whole trajectory of my life. Because I tell you what, when I was a junior in college and I was 21 years old and I was riding in the passenger side of this vehicle in the back seat on the way to Papa Sam's at about 12.30 a.m. in the morning, that's Waffle House basically for the Southeast in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I'm riding back there. I've had a beverage or five or 12. And I'm there in the car and I see a sign on the side of the road that says summer work, $12 per hour appointment. And I don't know what it was. I didn't care what it was, Scott. I was ready to do anything and everything. So I didn't have to make $5.50 an hour cutting grass and raking sand traps and getting hit by yellow jackets all summer. 
So, by the way, my check after tax was about $192.15. And if somehow I could arrive seven minutes early and clock in and then leave like nine minutes after, I could get an extra 16 minutes. I can get my check up to like 201, 202 a week. Amazing. Right. And I'm not joking, and maybe I am, but that was that was really what I was earning. So I got this, I got this sign on the way to Papa Sam's in the morning. I had some beverages. I wrote it down on my hand with a pen in the back seat. Called it on Monday. They said Vector Marketing, selling sporting goods and equipment and cutlery. I didn't even know what cutlery was. Yeah, I show up for this interview. Melissa is there, still a dear friend to this day, and she was hot. Uh, and I, I need to go work because I need to be around Melissa. You know, and the entire interview, they're talking about, I don't even know, because I just wanted to be around Melissa. So I, I accepted the job. Uh, basically, I just I would do anything to be around Melissa and make $12 an hour. So I accept the job. I go into training day one, and I meet a man named Bowen Asterson on day one of training who also would change my world. Uh, and it was absolutely amazing. One more quick story, because I can go really deep fast and go off on a tangent. Here's the last story. There were 42 people in that room for day one of training selling knives. And I was number 11 in the order to introduce themselves. So we did this for like an hour. You get to stand up, introduce yourself where you go to college. The guy right in front of me, his name was Matt Jones. And he, his, his brother before him was right before that. Another, another guy named somebody Jones. And he stood up and said, hey, I'm Matt Jones. I go to BJU. Uh, and as soon as he said that, <laughs> I literally, I started to laugh right there in front of everyone. And I've always been gregarious and don't give a fuck. Pardon me. I'm going to try not to swear, but yeah, sometimes well. I do. Uh, yeah, I I don't give a fuck what people think about me. So I literally started to laugh in front of everyone. They were looking at me, and there was a girl right behind me named Camille. Always remember this. She started laughing too. So the two of us were having a good old time. Matt Jones was not too happy that we were laughing at his um, at the name of his school, BJU. It stands for Bob Jones University. Cool school. I mean, you know, a little bit uh, a little bit strict for my my taste. Uh, if you had a date there, you had to have a chaperone on a date, even when you're like 21. So that was that was a little bit, you know, not not for me. Uh, no judgment there, just not for me. So I laughed like hell at uh, BJU, and uh, at that moment, uh, I thought I'd found myself in, in a great place because the leader of the group, Bowen, was up there. He saw me laugh. He didn't start to laugh, but I could tell by the look in his eye we were going to get along. Uh, we were going to get I along. Mean, we got along great. First of all, if you go to Bob Jones University, you have to know that BJ jokes are coming for the rest of your life. So the fact that somebody laughed out loud at 21 years old, 20 years old, 19 years old, like, yeah, that's to be expected. So how does one go from like, you know what, I'm going to sell knives as a summer job to I'm going to be a world-class leadership coach and charge lots of money for it? That's a great question. Uh, first of all, you, you do from the age of 21 until the age of 28, you know, for basically six and a half, almost seven years, you go and you sell knives and you learn how to recruit, interview, train, hire, fire, have the conversations one-on-one, -on -one, run inventory, run profit loss. You learn how to develop people. You make a buttload of mistakes. Uh, you learn how to run interviews in front of 75 people. You, you learn how to run trainings in front of literally 110 people where the air conditioning breaks and it's 90 degrees in a room with 100 people. They're, they're all pissed. You learn on the job how to do what it is that all leaders, entrepreneurs do. And you learn at a young age and the, and the cost, the barrier to entry. You got to be good at selling, but you don't have to spend a lot, of whole, a lot of money to start. Right. So it was a great experience. I cherish it. Love it. Some of my best friends. It's how I met the front row dads through John Roman. You know, uh, yeah, John, Matt King, one of my dearest friends, uh, godfather to my second or my third child. 
you know, he introduced me to Front Row Dads. I met him through Cutco. Interesting story about Matt. Uh, I don't know if you'd mind if I tell this. We laugh about it to this day. But the day that we actually met, he threatened to kill me. Perfect. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I might have shared it. The only retreat that we've been at when you and I met in October in 2019 in San Diego when Matt brought me there. Uh, but he did threaten to kill me the first time. It was uh, an overnight conference. I, ever the party was in my hotel room. He maybe had some beverages. Drove up my hotel room, banging on the door at 1030 at night in the hotel. And I was kind of always been a smart ass. Uh, and I said, what's the password? <laughs> and uh, he said, open the effing door. I was like, dude, what's the password? Open the effing door. I'm going to kick your ass. Uh, wrong password. And we just started to laugh. And he didn't take that very, very nice. And, you know, at one point, I might have even called him Matt Queen. And that was what set him over the edge. And he told me he was going to kill me. Uh, we settled it the next morning and we've been like best friends ever since. It's funny how that works sometimes. Oh, you're a really good friend. You go through stuff with them and then you become best friends. My and closest friend in the army who ended up being my roommate the last two years that um, I was at Fort Riley. Uh, I think the first day we met each other in the motor pool, I'm pretty sure we hit each other. It at least turned into some type of wrestling scuffle, but I think some blows were landed because we just, we were so similar and so similarly obnoxious. We, uh, we just, we, we clashed right away and then we became best friends. So, um, if Gabriel Scott is out there anywhere listening, love you, bro. Hope you're doing okay. Um, some, you know, unfortunately I was like the last generation who went through the military before social media. And so I'm so jealous because like friends of mine that has served post basically post 9-11, because that's kind of the same time social media really took off. They've got all these like Facebook groups with people there in the military and they stay in touch and whatnot. And I'm just like, I remember this one guy. I wonder what he's doing. Anyway, I digress. All right. So you basically got an on-job training. That's right. You kind of got like an MBA while earning money, right? Because it's like- I'm going to say that right now. I got a go. master's right there. Right then and there by the age of 28, I got a master's. Yeah. You know, I had already earned a strong- multiple seven figure income by the time that, you know, I'm, you know, around 30 years of age. Uh, and then I spent all of it by the way, and didn't pay any taxes. Of I had to Good job. Know, work that back later. Um, but did really well and learned a whole heck of a lot, made some great friends. Then my dad died. I left Cutco. Uh, my mom read in his diary to me three months after he died, four months after he died, that his only regret was that uh, he didn't caddy for me and play pro golf and caddy for me. So I tried to play pro golf. I say tried because I failed miserably and it was not a great experience, meaning that it cost about 125K and didn't, uh, didn't, didn't make any money. Uh, so I went to get my first corporate job. And I think this is good background so to wait, what I do now because you've got to understand the background. This is interesting, right? Because you, I, I know you, you played college golf, right? Was, all, were all, was always around golfing. I was on the team, yes. Okay, so you're on the team. And then did you play like more than recreationally in your 20s? I mean, did you spend a lot of time on the golf course or what? No, not at all. No, no. So as soon as I got the, the job selling knives, uh, I started making money. I never made money before. I'd never right. had a job where I'd actually made anything. It was all hourly. It was all minimum. And, uh, you know, a good night waiting table is 100 bucks. You know, I remember my first check that was large, my first uh, grand check, as you might call it in the industry, uh, my first comma check. Uh, that summer was a, a major motivator to me because I'd never seen money like that before. My senior year in college, I made about 50000 in commission, which is more than some of the teachers I had in school. Yeah. You know, I had a 3.5 up until my senior year. And then I got a 1.7 my senior year, or 1.1. It was very low. I, got, I ended up graduating by the skin of my neck uh, and almost just saying, F it, uh, because I realized the real truth. 
Yeah. The truth is that resume and that paper of, of graduating, that may be needed to go to the next school or maybe needed maybe to get in the door somewhere. But I was actually developing this massive sales skill and I was really good at it. So maybe a little bit cocky and a little bit too raw. Yeah. Uh, but did that. Did, did, did really good at it. So anyways, fast forward post golf. I'm 28. My dad passes. Try golf. Give it a 30 month commitment. Make no money. Make no money. And uh, I had to get a real job. Uh, so I will give you the, the snapshot version of six years, two companies, six years, three years each in corporate America. And my job for the first three years at Clear was to first started a direct sales team, became the number one direct sales team in the company, you know, did so well at that. I said, I want to be a GM to my, my good friend and mentor at the time, Mark Brackman and David Barnett. Um, Mark and David said to me, yeah, we'd love to do that, but you don't have any indirect sales experience. I took a demotion from number one sales manager in the company, went back to indirect account executive for 41 days to be crushed. And then they promoted me to GM. So I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, was there for six months, lived there during the flood of 2010. Uh, and then before 39 days before they're launching the fourth largest market in the company in Boston, they call me and say, Matt, we got an opportunity. Uh, I'm single. It's December 23rd, 2009. I'm, or pardon me, 2010, Amazing. December 23rd. I'm single. I said, uh, hell yeah, uh, I'm ready. And here's what I want. So I was prepared to have a negotiation conversation. Here's a, a, a bookmark or a clip, uh, to note here, Chris, it's that one of the things I do really well right now is. I feel that it's, you can reasonably predict certain things that are going to happen, certain conversations that are going to come up. And I'm a great chess player. I was once a grandmaster at chess. So when it comes to chess and thinking wait, five wait. moves ahead. You were a grandmaster in chess? Yeah, I had, I had a, a very high 1100 plus chess rating. This is <laughs> back in the day. Uh, this is actually like high school, early days back then. I was a big chess guy. Grandmaster's like 2300. Oh, well, in that case, at the time that I was playing, I haven't played chess in a long time competitively. And at that time, back in like early 1990, 91, uh, maybe the scoring was different. I had oh, a rating of like over 1100 of some kind. I don't remember exactly what it was, uh, but that was 30 years ago. So give me a little bit of slack here. All right. Maybe you were uh, a 2100 or maybe the scoring was different back then. Fairly certain it was like 1100, but in either way, uh, I've competed at a high level in chess. And I was always ahead of a few moves. So right now, what I do is kind of, I use this, I even did use this today. Part of my job is to prepare CEOs for the question they're not ready for. You know, what are they not ready for? An example might be this, uh, you know, are you ready for that next conversation to negotiate your next salary, your next pay raise? Are you ready to negotiate for equity? Do you know how to have a conversation around stock options? Do you know how to have a conversation around anything that might be the next step or two up? Are you prepared for that? You know, and I craft questions and challenge these leaders to come up with, oh, just be prepared for it. You know, an example yeah. recently uh, was a client that I worked with for last about six years now. Uh, someone that uh, was earning, you know, about a quarter million dollars a year when I met him and we prepared for the conversation. Uh, and I, I kept telling her that this is going to happen. You're a badass. Someone's going to want you to, to lead their company. So let's prepare for it. And we practice these questions. When some recruiter comes to you, here's, you got to have your list of non-negotiables. You got to say it with certainty and confidence. Here's what we're going to say. We practiced it. She got the call. And when she got the call, she negotiated the way we practiced. 
And she nearly doubled her salary. She got options in the company that vested quicker than they would have, all because we practiced it. And she wouldn't have had any idea how to prepare for that. So that right there made her probably an additional 800K over the last four years, you know, because we practiced it, right? Yeah. You know, and I was only charging her like a 1500 a month. You know? So <laughs> in any event, it you know, was... Um, it's am- it's amazing how much this stuff goes overlooked, right? Um, <laughs> I, I, I've read a bunch of studies on the, on the pay gap between men and women, and a vast majority of that can be accounted for by the fact that, A, women have to take time off for childbirth um, or child rearing, or they, you know, they leave um, different industries and then come back years later. Number two is like men will take most of the jobs where we can get killed, um, you know, bearing sea crab fishermen but the the remaining true gap in uh, male versus female income usually comes down to lack of preparation over negotiation or just not being boisterous enough to ask for the raise or ask for the extra money up front so if you've got matt coming in up front uh you know starting out at corporate america right out of college making fifty-five thousand, and somebody whether they're male or female doesn't have the same negotiation skills you and that entry job starts at forty-seven thousand. wherever every incremental raise from there on out every company change every pay raise you know you're going to be 10 percent behind 10 percent behind which doesn't sound like a lot when you're making 47 grand at 22 but when you get to 45 five and that's the difference between 300 grand versus 200 grand that's a big freaking deal and so like these skills you're talking about are absolutely invaluable another example might be this that happened just uh, a year and a half ago Uh, one of my biggest clients who i'm very pleased to say uh, offers me access to the suite the 16th at the waste management open which i'll be thursday friday saturday this year look forward to seeing anyone out there look for the tall good looking guy uh when i first (laughs) met this uh, executive assistant of my biggest client um, she was making about 55K and we had a few conversations and practiced, you know, the negotiation and, and really build up that self-worth and uh, the income is now more than double that. And by the way, she's worth it and he's glad to pay it because uh, the company's rocking and rolling, man. Uh, and just to help you know the worth, I'll, I'll just put a, one little nugget in there. If the antennas are up, listeners, check it out. Uh, if you coach high-level performance women or women that want to be in the next level, a great resource is How Women Rise, the book by Sally Helgeson, uh, co-authored by Marshall Goldsmith, who's probably the gold standard in what I do out there in our country right now. Uh, He's a little bit aged right now, so he may not be that way for much longer, the gold standard, but he has taught me so much, Marshall Goldsmith, uh, out there from uh, from California. He's got a book called Triggers. In any event, How Women Rise, it has like that, I think it's seven or 11, seven or 11 uh, things that hold women back, the thinking patterns that hold them back. And you just name one of them in there. Uh, great book. Check that out. I've given that to every female executive I've ever coached in the last four years moving forward. It's a great manual of how to build and affirm uh, for women. So I, I would encourage all women to check that out. Amazing, man. So, So, you know, obviously, if you're working with an individual, sometimes you're helping them negotiate against their own company, right? Stock options, higher pay, uh, retention bonuses, et cetera, et cetera. So do do one off people at these large corporations usually find you to be their, you know, professional development, uh, motivation, performance coach, or do companies bring you in and say, hey, here's the C-suite of people that need some internal coaching? Oh, great question. And I would say that I would have given you a different answer four years ago. I would have been happy to say, I'm looking for Fortune 50 big company clients because they pay big. And here's what I've learned. I don't want that company. I don't want to work with that huge company because the bureaucracy is stifling and it hurts and it's just boring and painful to me. And if I can close a huge deal at the same time, 
I now have to coach people that are drug along for the ride. Right. That's who I want to avoid at all costs. The person that doesn't want to be there. And if someone else is paying for it, sometimes that's the case. So I'm looking to coach the owner, CEO, founder, the co-founders, the people that are on the leadership team, the top producers, the people that really are driven, self-motivated, the avatar of the person I coach right now. If I had to nail it down to the very specifics of it, it's someone that's probably between the ages of the low end, maybe 38, uh, maybe the upper end could be 56, somewhere in that range, probably around around my age, 45 to 52, re- really at the ideal client. They're in growth mode, Scott. They want to continue to grow and flourish the company to a place where they can then exit. And where they need help is in the questions, and the thinking to get there. Where they need help is in understanding, how do I develop my replacement? Because these people have a couple things in common with the old me. A, uh, I used to be a perfectionist. Now I'm a recovering perfectionist. And a lot of high achievers are still perfectionist and, and obsessed with growth or more. They don't know how to turn it off. I'm really good at teaching them how. And number two is a highly functioning workaholic. And there's a lot of people out there that are workaholics that have great income. They wake up at the time they're 60, rich, with no family, divorced. The kids don't know them, don't like them. And I want to avoid that personally. So I went to went to work on that. And I find that a lot of leaders get to that place. These, these strong seven-figure guys and girls, they get to that place where they crushed it at all costs and they don't have harmony in their lives. You know, so I come in and help them to find that harmony, not balance. I don't believe balance is possible when you're a high achiever, but you can have harmony from time to time when you don't kind of correlate or choreograph it. And I help them do that at a high level. So it's that person, they speak English, they're in the United States, they own the company. Uh, they're not working for the company. There's no bureaucracy. They own the company, and they are open to being coached, open to feedback. That's who I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, e- examples. Uh, well, the, some of the biggest clients I work with right now would be in financial services. That's about 35 39% of my business or, or advisors who have anywhere from $300 million to uh, maybe a couple billion dollars in assets in their management. They're leading a team. They're leading a firm with... Uh, a couple to 20 advisors working with them, staffs of one, two to 30 on their staff. And I work with the owners and help them create the organizational chart, this flow, the system, the roles, the, what every activity and result everyone owns. And I coach them to that and being more patient with their people. Uh, pause. I may have just like rattled off machine guns out there. Is that, are we? No, I love it. Are we good? I love it. Keep it going. Good? Keep it going. Yeah, that, that's it. So that's, that's it's financial services. And then there's uh, real estate, you know, corporate real estate. You know, I work with some uh, a large organizations in corporate real estate, CBRE being one of them, JLL being another one where I've worked with uh, people that service those companies and those companies directly. And when you meet some of those players that everyone wants to get a piece of, uh, then everyone kind of comes to you and wants to know more and you cozy up to you. And since I'm really good at what I do, you know, knock on wood and not too boastful, but the results speak for themselves, you know, since I'm good at it uh, right now, we have kind of an overflow of leads coming in to be able to serve these people. And I love what I do more than anything. I absolutely love it. I love my mission is to help every client achieve what they want most. And we are so clear up, up front about what to expect from each other that I don't hire a client anymore that then I find out later Oh, all they want is money and they're a jerk. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the vetting process, them vetting me and me vetting them is so detailed and so, so specific now that uh, uh, I'm like Phil Jackson. I pick the people or the companies that are the good ones, make you look like an all-star. 
Tell, uh, tell me more. Probably okay at what I do, but these guys are all, all guys and girls are all all stars at what they do. <laughs> tell me more about that vetting process because you know the coaching relationship. That's about a third of my time. What I do, the coaching relationship gets really intimate, right? Like you know sometimes more about these people and what's going on in their business life than either their business partner or their spouse or whatnot. So what does your vetting process look like now that you're at a higher price? Obviously you're working with people like, you know, these are big boy decisions. This is not, um, this is not, do I hire this sales rep or that sales rep? And maybe we're playing in the margins on the outcome. You know, some of this stuff is like, do we set up for a seven figure exit or an eight figure exit or an eight figure exit or a nine figure exit? I mean, these are, these are big, big decisions. So what is your yeah. vetting process? How are they looking at you and how are you looking at them? Uh, yes. And I've got, I want to say like three clients that are kind of setting up for that process right now. And I'm not helping them, uh, excuse me, not helping them. This is a, this is a really good beer. It's brought to you by Copper from uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg Brewery. Really good beer. Nice. Uh, you know, so the, the people that we're working with, they may come to me and say, uh, you know, people keep quitting. How do I stop that? And we might look at the system or the process of which they do the interview. And I help them craft the questions that are aligned with their values and help them do experiential questions on the front end. So it could be part of that, Scott. But really, um, oh, my God, the ADD just kicked in. Ask the question again because I just forgot. Vetting process between you and the coaching <laughs> client. Okay, super clear. So today <laughs> I had one of those conversations, for example. You know, I just finished a live stream, which I do. Monday through Saturday at 7 a.m. Eastern on my Instagram and my Facebook account, Eternal Optimist Podcast. We'll talk later about that. But I did that this morning and I get a text at 7.17 a.m. Can you speak today? And it's someone, my very, my second client ever from 2014. And we worked together until his company got acquired by a couple billion dollar company. And they already had a coach. So he let me go uh, two months before COVID. So I haven't talked to him about three years, maybe once in three years. And uh, texted me up and uh, I was like, hey, are you, can you talk? And I called them in 18 minutes and 52 seconds. We had a conversation and we kind of vetted it right there. And I was pretty clear with them. I said, hey, listen, since we last left off three years ago, here's kind of what you can expect from me now. My game is higher. I'm coaching people. Nearly everyone I coach is a seven-figure annual person. They're all thinking about bigger things than what we were talking about three years ago. And I want you to know up front that I'm not coaching newbies anymore. I don't want you to stick me into a, a room full of brand new, never before sold green advisors, insurance agents. I don't want to work with those people uh, unless they're on the call with you and they're shadowing, watching me coach you and we're doing it together. I don't want to be in a room with those people. I'm past that. So uh, that was not one thing. Number two is that, you know, we used to do it every week. Now I'm better at what I do. So we don't need to do it every single week. We can do it every other week or once a month to still have the same impact or bigger. Number three uh, is that I want to ask you some questions first to see if there's been some progress. Cause I don't want to go back to this, you know, back to where we were then where people just kept quitting because he was an asshole sometimes. Right. So we, we talked a little bit about his, you know, the way he leads people. Now I was satisfied. I've always loved this man. I always, always cared about him. Just wanted to make sure we're in the right spot. And then I remember the very first coaching conversation and prospect that I ever asked of him in October, 2014, my CEO and partner was asking me, ask him for $4,000 a month, Matt. So, uh, I asked him for four grand a month back in 2014, October. And he said, no, no way I'm paying that. And then I dropped my pants and said, well, how about 1000 a month? Will you do that? <laughs> He's like, yeah. So I dropped down in one step, like my price down to 25% because I was really big, scared, wet, wet, sloppy one. So I, uh, uh, I, I, I did that then, but I told them now that if we're going to do this together now, if we're doing one-on-one, -on -one, it's minimum 50 grand a year. Uh, and if your results are one that you go from like a couple million dollars 
here in earnings to five million, I want equity share in that. You know, for every like twenty five grand you earn, I want ten percent of that uh, that we can trace back to the systems we're putting in place. You know, so now I'm negotiating for equity and bonuses. Before then, it was just like a monthly rate. Uh, so I'm, I'm talking about all these things before we ever sign anything, before I ever present anything. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about all these things. And here's the thing about being the best coach you can be. And here's my advice to you and anyone listening, Scott, who uh, wants to up their game as a coach, be, and you're, you're a great salesperson, so you already know this, it's become a heat-seeking missile for pain. You know, understand their pain more than anything in the whole world. And if you can understand their pain, I know how to solve people's pain by coaching them. Almost everything they can come up with in a business and in a system I've experienced, and I can help them with that. If our values are aligned, number one, that's the vetting process, values are aligned. And number two, if we can understand what it is that's most painful for them, ratchet up that pain so that it is so freaking painful, they, they just can't live, they can't live anymore. They've got to get rid of that pain and be really good at asking questions that you know, make the pain ratchet up. Then in that case, uh, you know, we're, we're ready to go, rock and roll, before you ever present anything. Or even showed them what I do, they've already experienced it, and they're like, "Wow, that was that was that was pretty cool." Uh, what 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 do actually this coaching look like, Matt? Uh, you know, and uh, that's that's how it goes. So the vetting process is understanding their values, setting expectations. Here's four expectations I'll set with every client in the in the prospect process, and once they're a client, I'll say it again: things you expect from me. Number one, I'm going to be on time. I'm going to start on time and I'm going to finish on time. Whenever you have a scheduled call and when I'm there, I'm going to be there. My cell phone's not on. No other computers are on. Uh, kids will run around sometimes. Uh, I'll love them and kiss them. And maybe I'll, I'll do this. I'll, I'll pick Bob Ross out because I've always got a Bob Ross stuffed animal or a Groot. Always somewhere around me are a few stuffed animals I can throw at the kids. Lovingly, not like to peg them like a dodgeball or anything like Adam Sandler and Happy, Ma- Happy Billy Madison, but more... Uh, uh, just to just to lovingly let them be distracted. So on time, number one, I expect the same from you. Number two is confidential. Everything we talk about is between you and I. I'm not going to share it with the outside world. If I'm taking notes on my cloud in GoodNotes 5 app on my iPad, I'm going to code my notes so that if there's anything sensitive you're telling me, if anyone hacked into my notes, they'll see your name. They might see some revenue numbers, but they will never see anything personal or challenging that would expose them or expose me. I'm never going to put anything in email or text or video message that will embarrass you, me, or your company or any of your clients. Uh, so that's confidentiality is of the utmost importance to me. Number two, number three is that I'm direct as can be. I'm going to be real, direct, transparent, always with respect, try to be with empathy. empathy. If you need to correct me, then just time me out and say, hey, Matt, let's um, let's reframe that because I didn't sound right. I didn't feel right. I-, I give you permission to just let me know that it didn't right. feel right. Right. So real-time feedback. And uh, then number four, in addition to the real-time feedback, uh, we're going to have a feedback conversation every three months. If I'm coaching them like weekly or every other week, we're going to have a feedback conversation every three months because I want to know how I'm doing and I want to give you feedback on how you're doing as a client. And by the way, while we're, we're doing this, I'm going to coach them to do the exact same thing with all of their top clients because most people don't have a feedback, a formal feedback system for their clients. Implement that, and I can teach almost anyone to scale and grow their business through their ideal clients through a feedback system because most don't have it. And those that do have it, it's fly by the seat of your pants. They don't track it. They don't keep track of it over time. They don't know the questions to really, like I call it the, the what, why, two-punch combo. You know, coaching tip for coaches out there. You know, ask them what's most important. Ask them why. Just what, why combo. That, that why question on the back end shows you want to establish trust. You're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be real. But I like to ask why a whole heck of a lot. 
And uh, that's the four steps of expectations. How does that resonate or sound to you, Scott? Sounds amazing. Uh, you know, that, yeah, that, that would be it. So that's that's the vetting process. So when you, when they you want- dive into your coaching calls, uh, the what, not why feedback, I like that a lot. Um, uh, I read the book, uh, The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay. I think that's his name. Uh, amazing book about seven questions that you can ask to coach anybody. Um, what, it, probably the best best coaching book I've ever read, The Coaching Habit. It's amazing. And um, so are you like a, a attraction guy? Um, are you a, you know, stop, start, keep guy? Like like what, what kind of coaching methodology do you like if we're sitting down for a call and we got to like dive in? Like I, I understand seeking out the pain, like what's really going on, you know, asking the question under the question. But are you, are you a systems guy? Are you a warm, fuzzy guy? Like what do your coaching calls look like? I wouldn't say I'm too warm and fuzzy, even though since I had kids seven years ago, I've been, uh, excuse me, I've been uh, using the word love a lot more and I've cried a few times. Uh, but I have a very specific system and I love Gina Wickman's traction. I love it. Yeah, I was exposed great. to it maybe six, six years ago, yeah, probably six, six, seven years ago. I've been coaching nine years. So probably eight years ago, seven years ago, I, I first read traction. It was brought to me by another fellow coach. And I love it. I love it. I use it myself back then. Since then, I've taken the best of that and the best of a couple other methods. Uh, you know, Oren Claff, I love his uh, his stuff about power selling. Uh, so I'm, I'm big into him. Uh, but I would say that um, I love it when I see clients have traction. Half my clients probably had traction when they met me. Right. Now, where traction is awesome. I don't want to throw any shade on traction. I love it. I absolutely love it. Every book they've written, I, I'm addicted to them. I, I, my rocket fuel was next. I mean, I have the, this three books from them. Um, but here's the thing is that unless you have like the best traction coach, I know there's some that are really good, right? But unless your EOS coach is really skilled under the waterline, meaning they're really good at the conversations to help with the people side of it, then it's a great organizational system, organizational flow, the L10, the rocks, those, those are great. But if you don't have someone that's really good at navigating the people nuances, then I come in there and that's where I add value. You know, and in fact, here's something, here's a, here's a good exercise for top level coaches. I learned this uh, when my, one of my coaches, John Berghoff from the exchange community, also a Cutco guy, also a front row dad. I've never seen John at a front row dad event, but I, I, I know he's a front row dad and he facilitated the first live retreat. And I love this man. He's freaking awesome. He's episode one of my podcast. Um, you know, so John, he invited Jeff Hoffman, the uh, Priceline mm-hmm. guy, uh, billionaire, awesome philanthropist, great. Awesome Jeff guy. Jeff came on a call and he said, guys, if you want to really be the best at coaching people, then you got to understand what matters most. Here's how. One question, ask it to every top client. And he challenged me live on the spot with like 20 other people there. Do this right now. Text your top 10 clients this. Uh, what's the one single most important reason that you choose to do business with me? I text that to my top 10 clients because I have the relationship where I text them, right? And I text them this question, Scott, and I'm expecting that they're going to say that, Matt, you have an infectious energy. You move fast. We move faster with you. Uh, There's something around accountability you're good at. I was expecting some answer around energy and positivity because uh, that's kind of how I branded myself. It's kind of who, who I am as the energy positive guy and – uh, 10 clients, two of them even had that somewhere in the in the response. Eight out of 10 had said something totally different. And that opened up my eyes, this whole concept of feedback. And I don't see a whole lot of feedback in a lot of the other coaching approaches out there. So feedback is a staple of my practice. And understanding through real life experience and vulnerability or transparency, what matters most to them. So you ask, what's our system? 
uh, I would say we call it triple A, AAA, uh, awareness, action, achievement. You know, awareness is finding out where we are right now. So I have a series of questions and, and a couple of questionnaires and a survey I send out to help me understand and they understand you know, where they are right now. Awareness, right? Then I'll take like two or three calls. And I'm doing that with several big companies right now, right? Is, is interviewing the leaders in this awareness phase. Yeah, and then after the awareness phase, so we're all clear where we are right now, then we go to action. Action is when you write down a one-page business plan where you look up, here's what I call the lag. The lag is you know, the most important result you want to achieve in this timeline. They're smart goals, right? Specific, measurable, actual, realistic, time-sensitive. And then once you have the lag goals written down, we try to get a lead dial or a lead dial is what's the consistent activity you have to do over and over again, give you the best shot at achieving that. And I am like like a ninja. I capture all of these lead dogs, these activities. I put them into my online platform at proadvisordrivers.com. And it's like a, a simple version of Salesforce where we put in numbers, like KPIs, metrics, whatever you want to call them, put in numbers. And on this little system, looks like an odometer. And we track their lag goals, which are the results. We track their lead dials, which are the actions. And meticulously every week, or depending on what company it is every month, we check in and see what progress they've made. And it gives you a trend over the time period of where they're trending towards. So we know if they're going to hit it, if they're not going to hit it, we can ask a whole bunch of questions. And I try to train them to get each other, the people that are part of this high-performance team, to ask the questions of each other so that I can teach it to them in six months to a year, then bow out. And, and is, right? that the, is that the goal? Do you want to have closed-end relationships with most of your coaching clients where it's like, hey, I come in, I write the ship, put a hole or, or uh, patch the hole in the, uh, in the boat and then train your organization and then move on? Or do you, do you want to have some longer term relationships where you're, you know, in coaching for 10 years with the same people? Evo evolution over time is my response to that because I was trained to, you know, get the client on, teach them this, help them with this. And then once we've done that, help them to uncover the next system, the next challenge, overcome that and client for life. The challenge I found with that and this is still one I deal with today. So I, I end up loving these people. We get really close, right? And the challenge is that uh, the level of clientele that I've been trained to ask for, like that next level up and ask for the referrals. And as we've done this over time, what I find is that now nine years in, where I didn't maybe didn't have the the hut spot to ask, you know, to, to coach someone that was has a house in the Hamptons and makes like twelve million a year. Uh, I didn't know how to coach that person then, but now I do. And as a result of that, the people that I love that I was charging $250 to $500 a month with back in year 2014, some of them have scaled to where they're making like seven, $800K this year. It's hard for me to ask someone to make $800K to pay me $100K a year. It's not as hard to ask that of someone who's making several million a year who right. when they make one system tweak that right. helps to retain you know, an extra 3%, 3% of their workforce, and that's millions of dollars in shift uh, to their bottom line. It's hard for me to ask for that from someone who's earning that versus that that big person that one shift makes a million dollar impact or a $50 million impact, right? You know, so I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence there with the, with the answer because it used to be client for life. And now it's expectation up front. I want to help you like a ninja work through this project. And by the way, I lead a company and a team and the clients I work with, if we're on a month to month agreement and it's for six months and you can stop anytime in the first six months, if we do that in six months, I'm probably going to ask you for more because we're going to get the results. Yeah. And yeah. 
I may promote you to work with someone else on my team or may keep working with you myself. I don't want you to think that I'm the only face of the company. I have a bunch of coaches that are specific to what your needs might be. So I have the ability to kind of hand them off to someone that can work with them a little bit more specific to me. I love that. Hey, it's so funny. You mentioned like the higher ticket uh, clients. I'll never forget. And I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I went to a Tony Robbins event and he was talking about something about, you know, what, you know, it's typical limit, limiting beliefs or whatnot. And he said, you know, a lot of you probably heard that I, I charge $250,000 a day for coaching. And he's like, I charge way more than that. Um, but he's like, if you're a, you know, multi-billionaire of a multinational company and I can help your son not commit suicide, what what is the financial value of that? What's the return on investment? Like, is it a hundred grand, a million, your entire net worth? And um, and it was great because he was he was really trying to change the mindset in the room of like you don't have to trade time for val for money. You can trade value for money, right? And he goes, yes. I, I could I could dig ditches all day long and be worth forty thousand a year, or I can solve the problem of the multi billionaire who's going to lose their son to drug addiction, and um, you know that that's just that's just a different pay scale for that person, and that's where I choose to play. He's like, I don't look down on any of the people that make forty thousand dollars a year. I'm just letting you know that you can do better um, when you start trading time for value instead of time for money. Uh, sorry, um, <laughs> value for money instead of time oh. for for money. It was it was it really stuck with me. That's about the only thing from Unleash yeah. the Power Within that stuck with me eight years later, nine years later. I love that you made this reference, Scott, because I remember this goes back to the very first thing we talked about today, being prepared for discussions. I remember eight years ago when I was trying to get my first couple of clients on board and one of them asked, what's your hourly rate? I didn't know how to respond with what you just said at that time. But now, if I have a client from five or six years where I was you know, coaching them at 1500 2500 a month that number of years ago, now... How do I double the pay or double the rate on someone like that uh, when they're used to this? And right. I sold them on my hourly, and now right. I don't do hourly anymore. Right. It's it's, it's challenging, and, and it can be uh, outside the expectation I said originally. I don't like to be incongruent, so I struggle with that, you know, which is now why I share what you're talking about now. Yeah. The good uh, news is that you and I spoke six years ago, so you have to keep um, coaching me for $1,000 a month. Uh, when I finally do sign up. So that's the, that's the good news that we've trapped you on. So I appreciate ah. that. Uh, oh, I love you. I'm not getting that on public on, on air. No way. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me it, it would be, it would be unfair if we didn't talk about your personal life because we are in front row dads together. Talk a little bit about how this business of coaching supports your other goals, whether it's, you know, getting back on the links and playing some golf, whether it's being a great husband, whether it's being a dad, like what, how does this business and the fact that you can work from home, I'm guessing, support everything else in your life or, you know, align with everything else in your life? One of the reasons I became a coach uh, to get back to being an entrepreneur and have the flexibility to do these things from home so that I could see my kids grow up. You know, see my, my dad, um, God rest his soul. He passed away in 2005 uh, Memorial Day. Uh, my dad was amazing. Great influence, best friend, looked up to him, my rock star hero. And I'm really fortunate and blessed to have him as dad and learned a lot from him. Tremendous strength. The challenge uh, I reflect back is that um, I didn't see him much. Uh, he was gone from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. five days a week. He was there in the weekends for soccer games and basketball and baseball and whatnot. He was there. Uh, but he wasn't during the week. And so we didn't talk a whole lot and see each other a whole lot during the week. And 
I, uh, you want to get me choked up and crying. I mean, show me, um, you know, Rudy tackle in that movie, Rudy at the very end. Uh, you know, you can, uh, show me, uh, Titanic when Leo gets lowered down, uh, and he jumps back onto the, onto the ship. Uh, but really, uh, you know, to get me choked up, you play that Cat Stevens song, Cats uh, in the Cat Cradle, in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon about the, I'm going to be like you. Uh, dad, um, it'd be just like you. Every time, every time I hear that song, I tear up like a, a child. Yeah, I'm on the verge of the moment. And I've, I've actually cried more in the last 72 hours than I have in the whole last year because uh, a lot, of, a lot of stuffs happened. And I, I can say that that song, I don't want to be that. You know, most of my life, I'm like one of those weird people that tries to go towards the carrot and go towards the pleasure. As most people are trying to avoid pain, uh, I go towards pleasure, right? And uh, this is the one thing that I think of that scares the heck out of me is to wake up later in life and to feel that uh, because my kids are mirroring me. So uh, I put some guardrails in place. And I think the kids taught me about coaching more than the coaching taught me anything about uh, how to be a better parent or how to learn to be a parent. Uh, I, I learned by being a yeller you know, for the first, uh, I'd say the first two and a half years of the life of my second child, at least by the time. By the time she was about two and a half, uh, you know, I had yelled her name out loud a number of times just to be quiet when I'm on a Zoom. And it wasn't anything like, hey, you're a jerk and I can't stand you. It wasn't like uh, shameful or hateful like that. It was more like, uh, hey, just be quiet. I'm on a Zoom. Be quiet. You know, I would yell like that and, um, you know, transparent about it. That's why I joined the Front Row Dads to break that really bad habit because that's what I had. And if, I don't know if, if there's a whole lot of trauma in my life. I think I'm very fortunate uh, and we've been poor and broke before, but I'd never got, uh, you know, beat up or molested or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to have parents who stayed married and all that good stuff. But the, uh, the thing I, I wanted to, uh, avoid was this, it was, I'm a highly functioning workaholic and we make a lot of money and I don't know my kids and Hey kids, I'm doing it all for you. I'm never around. That's scared right. me. So. Uh, I set some goals and I still set them to this day. I just set one for, you know, Q3 of last year and Q4 of last year. My goal is always, it, it used to be around money and earnings and now we've achieved a certain level. So it's not that now it's time. And, you know, the goal for Q3 was to get back four hours a week in Q3, 2022. The goal in Q4 was to take back Friday. And when we did that, you know, and I tried it before, take back Friday, but I didn't make as much money as I wanted to like five years ago. So I started working on Fridays again. Uh, right. but I'd say that the, the things that I want to be and who I want to show up for my kids and my wife, that informs me of where my goals are now. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the thing that being a parent, being a husband is teaching me more so than coaching. It's uh, this is what I want to create. This is what I want to be. This is the time I want with the family. This is the lifestyle I want to create with them. And as a result of that, uh, I set all my business goals around it. After I learned from Adam Stock almost three years ago now to be intensive in your family calendar planning, yeah, and to and approach that with as much intensity as you do your business. I thought my that. I thought my calendar was dialed in until I sat through one of Adam Stock's workshops. And shout out to Adam Stock who we've had on the podcast. Um, we talked about it a little bit about a year ago when I had him on the podcast, but man, his calendar is just super dialed in. It's, it's, yeah. it's really a work of art. It's really impressive. And yeah. what's amazing about it. He's got that one part every day where he intentionally shares with his team, shares with his family. He takes like one hour a day, takes a nap. That's awesome. And I coach people all the time. Say, so I just, I can't do it. 
I'm running a retreat in a couple of days where everyone's like, oh, burnout, overwhelmed. And I'm going to introduce this to them. I know they're going to rebel and have a lot of resistance to the idea. Uh, and they can do it. We just have to first believe it and see it and create it. I, I, uh, Adam's I, great at that. Totally agree. Uh, this coming week, actually, uh, this podcast will drop sometime in February, but we're recording in January of 2023. This upcoming week, I'm hosting a live event. We've got, you know, two or three podcasts that we're going to do. Like, I cannot afford to lose my voice, and I've been a little raspy the last few days. So, no cigars, lots of hot tea. The next couple yeah. days, the next couple days, I will be taking naps and some emergency uh, drinks just because, like, I, I can't afford to not be on my A game next week. And you got to, you got to take care of yourself so yourself can take care of you. Um, but, you know, it's funny you mentioned about uh, John Roman and the reason you run front row, uh, join Front Row Dads. I can I can raise my hand and say I had a little tiny piece in pushing John towards creating Front Row Dads. I don't even know if he remembers that we had this conversation way back when, when me and uh, a couple other guys were in the uh, mastermind with Hal and John and John and all the other people you know. John and I were talking. Quantum, quantum leap. Mastermind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, my first kid was on the way, so this would be eight years ago, and um, he. We were having a conversation, and and he said something. You know, I, I think he was feeling really reflective, and we had we had done like the family section of Quantum Leap Mastermind, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, Scott." He's like, "Dude, you're working your ass off." And he's like, "But you know," and he kind of just said it in passing. He's like. When you die, do you think your kid's going to remember, thank God dad afforded that $7,000 mortgage instead of that $5,000 mortgage? Or do you think he's going to care that you didn't come to any of his soccer games? And I was like, man, that's really powerful. And it's, it's, it's conversations like those that got John pushed towards front row dads. And then I've been in front row dads. And still, still, this is how flawed we are as human beings, Matt. Still earlier this year, my wife and I were out looking for like the $2 million house, which frankly, with how the market has shifted over the last year, would have put us under more financial stress than needed. And the biggest blessing of 2022 is we didn't get an offer accepted on one of the houses that we made an offer because like right now we're really happy where we are. The house is a little small. It's a little tight. We can't have as many guests as we want. We really need a pool in the backyard. But uh -huh. you know what? If you can afford to travel with the family to Cabo once every couple of months because you didn't splurge on the crazy $2 million house, then you know you can kind of adjust accordingly and I don't have to work 70 hours a week to make the money to pay for the bigger house that nobody gives a shit about. Like I'd rather be able to take off at 3.30 yeah. and go on a bike ride with my son. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen you send some videos to dads about you and the bike rides. Uh, and I enjoyed that first ride. It must've been a year or two ago. That was, that was yeah. a cool video. So I'm glad you're doing that. That's, that's cool. Yeah. I yeah. think, uh, I, Gabriel enjoys jujitsu. He kind of likes the social aspect of it, but he's not a killer. Like he's not the guy that's going to like go first. You know, I try to, I'm trying to teach a six about to be seven year old, what the word like default aggressive or what that term means it just doesn't register on his brain but i get him on the bike and he can pretty much go forever like i haven't I, he hasn't really figured it out yet but i have a power assist like electric bike so i'm just like i'm cruising and he's pedaling for all he's worth and uh and he's keeping up so i, I don't know maybe maybe we have found his passion in cycling you just i my, my mind just went haywire here you you mentioned the power cycling i remember there was this this party thing when I first started to date my wife, uh, Julia, when, before we even got engaged, I remember like in month two of dating, we, we did this thing in Charlotte here called the Party Peddler, like a 20-person little 
giant little moving bar on a giant bicycle and everyone's supposed to be pedaling their way around to help us get around the town. And I remember taking this as a real challenge. I need to pedal these, these fuckers because they're all moving really <laughs> slow and I got to pedal for everyone. So like two of us are pedaling. Julie's over there kind of halfing it. Uh, you know, Ashley's not, not doing as much, but she, it's her party. And I love Ashley too. Uh, Crystal or one of our dear friends. Uh, she's not doing anything. I didn't meet her for the first time. Turns out we're like really good friends. Uh, but I'm pedaling my butt off at the party peddler and uh, yeah, they, no one else was. So I'm with you and I'm kind of like um, love hating you right now uh, for, uh, for maybe tricking him. So uh, yes, I don't know where that came from. It's great, man. <laughs> hey, I want to, I want to ask you three questions to kind of wind down. Cause I, I love keep, keeping these coaching ones a little bit shorter. So we get more viewership. Um, question number one, man, there's a lot of uncertainty out there and I know you're uh, are a, eternal optimist right and we're going to get the show in the show notes we'll put everything to the eternal optimist podcast there's a lot of reasons to be a little negative right now right there's there's all kinds of stuff in the news and congress can't get their shit together and we're about to go into an election cycle where 50 percent of the country will be talking horribly about the other 50 percent of the country and inflation is still high and mortgage interest rates are still high and by the time this comes out we'll probably officially be in a recession and there there's all kinds of reasons to be negative <clears throat> so talk to me about that person who's you know, generally been a half glass full person. Maybe they've been a top producer. Maybe they're one of these type of people that you coach where they're like, our business has done really good. And now we're just entering a season where like the NASDAQ is down and companies are worth less and people are laying off. What's some, what's some Matt drink on uh, eternal op optimist ideals or strategy or tactics for our brain to like get yes. through 2023 and come out the other side better? Like how can we thrive in 2023 instead of just survive? I'll give you the optimist side and I'll give you what you can do. I'll give you what you should not do. If you think more about what I shouldn't be doing. Uh, and the first thing, when I, when I hear a problem or a challenge, the first thing I think to what's the system or the mindset that will help us to get through that or solve that. So whenever I hear a challenge about attitude, mindset, pessimism, negativity, you know, my first thought goes to, you know, how involved are you with the concept of being curious? How involved are you with the concept of being grateful, you know, for what's in your life? And I think about, Gratitude and curiosity, those are two of the major pillars in my life. I'm wondering what this, call it a challenge, uh, you know, call it a financial challenge, call it a health challenge, you know, call it a, a relational challenge, call it a spiritual challenge, call it a, a, a tragic loss of someone in my family, whatever kind of pain or trauma, I wonder what it's here to teach me. And I'm really curious about how I might use this as a story to impact the world. You know, and when you switch from judgment and always seeing things through a lens of I'm less than, this is going to be hard, your your internal narrative switches to how might this be a sign that I might not be looking at the right news? How might this be a sign that if I keep watching uh, the news, which is showing Trump, Biden, Finkel, Einhorn, like every day, you know, if that's all I'm right, consuming, of right. course, I'm going to be bitter and angry and upset and frustrated all the time. Uh, maybe you should be a libertarian people because any, anyways, in, in any event, uh, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about how, uh, you know, I was kind of half joking there, but I'm also thinking about how being independent from letting the news cycle control your mind. That's one, that's what you probably, I'm not judging you if you do watch all the time, but if you're watching a lot of news, if you're watching a lot of Twitter, which may be the worst social media place to get just negative stuff all the time, look at what you're consuming, you know, cause that can really subconsciously get to you over time right 
Now, and if you're so far deep down the social media, Twitter, news place that you're not able to switch it, just really hard for you to switch it, then there's the other side of it. What can you do to counterbalance it or overpower it? You know, and that's going to be your circle of friends. So if you've got a bunch of people like me around who just don't tolerate and put up with, if all you do is show up and say, man, this stuff happened to me again, I don't put up with that. You know, if you're around me, I'm going to I'm gonna call it out loudly and proudly that, that really, oh, my God, you're in love with you. must have the worst life ever. Oh, my God. Oh, it happened to you again? Damn, how does your Mercedes feel about that? Oh, my God. I mean, I, mean, I will I'll kind of go to extreme and make, make, make light of it right. to prove the point. Uh, but I would say curiosity and gratitude are the antidotes, 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 there. curiosity and gratitude are the antidotes to frustration, anger, pessimism, things that get you down, trauma. When you focus on curiosity and gratitude, how it might serve you, it opens up a place where you can have some real self-compassion, some patience and grace with yourself. And if you're studying this and learning about this, you will overcome this attitude. Uh, but you're, if you're not focused on this, if you're not learning about curiosity and gratitude, then you're going to be stuck in that place for a while. Your friends can help you. What you consume and read and listen to every day can help you. But if you're stuck in that little K-hole of, man, oh, just everything is so bad and negative, right. then seek some professional help. Seek the therapist of some kind. Take that next step. Uh, the key here is gratitude, curiosity. And delete, uh, delete Twitter from your phone. That's number one. That's the first step. Uh, and delete Twitter and or learn how that even when, like, for example, someone I follow on Twitter is Jordan Peterson. And I find him fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And something he posted yesterday was a 56-page complaint uh, with the uh, Psychology Association of Canada. A bunch of people made some complaints about him. And I read through it because I was just interested to see what kind of complaints would people make about someone. Uh, and they're so just vague and general and judgmental and just so challenging. And I, this was a fascinating, like 20 minute read. And when I see that happening, I don't approach it from a judgmental place. You know, I approach it from what can I learn from this? You know, what can I see here that can help you to understand the human condition more? Because there are more people out there that are hurting than there are optimists that are all great on the inside. I want to learn from them so I can help them to overcome their pain. Yeah. So I don't have all the answers, but I do have a path that they can start to make action and progress on. And that's curiosity, gratitude. Now, I even encourage them to go take a look at Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning, and take a look at how you can use the power of affirmations, of morning journaling, uh, these types of self-affirming places where you rewire <laughs> your subconscious. If you get into that and you get good at it, you'll be able to make that change. You know, all I could think about when you were talking about the Jordan Peterson complaint docket is like that Ronald Reaganism where he's like the best social program is a job. I just kind of assume anybody who has a job does not have time to sit around and write up a docket of complaints surrounding a guy who you found on Instagram who gives speeches to young men. It's like to me, I just assume every one of the people that actually made those complaints have too much time on their hand, then you get a job. So, so I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in accountability and owning your own actions, owning your own philosophy, owning any statements you make. So if they were to come out tomorrow and say on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any social media network, this whole verification process, you have to put your real name or your real handle or your real email address, or just it's got to be the real you making these comments. I'd be all for that because I believe we should all own you know, our thoughts, philosophies, views, uh, and not hide behind some random, you know, user account or some bot account, you know, put your real name up there and have the courage to do it. If you don't have that, then 
you know, wait until you have that courage to step up and share something in public. But I don't like the random anonymity. Anonymity. Right. And, and my, uh, my mom says yeah. I'm anonymity. <laughs> I'm anonymity. Hippopotamus. Yes. <laughs> Okay, second to last question, and this I have to ask this since you're one of the one of the few front row dads that we've had on, ironically. So we need to get some more front row dads on. Um, best thing your dad did for you, and best thing you think you're doing for your kids. Aside from building a strong self esteem, which is so far beyond anything else, I'll give you a very specific moment in my life that I'll always remember, and it was in it was in the um, sixth grade. Uh, I was living in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. I was going to Stripling Middle School. And uh, I remember clearly that uh, I got my first fight at that middle school one day. And uh, I remember the guy's name, Kevin. Uh, and he was a white dude who lived in an all-African-American neighborhood. Uh, and he got beat up a lot. He was smaller than me. And I kind of felt sorry for him. And he just kept talking a lot of smack. So I got into a fight with him one day. He started it. I got into a fight with him. He punched me a couple times in the face. I look up, I see the principal coming uh, from a far ways away. I am far more afraid of my father than I am of social judgment and whatnot. And I see the principal coming. And I know that if I go to the principal's office, I'm going to get a tanning when I get home. And I'm going to get this judgment from dad. But I let the family standard down because I did something poor. So I literally just stopped and got on the bus and ran. because I was afraid of my dad's judgment more than tiny Kevin who punched me a couple of times. So I remember that. Uh, and that led to uh, a conversation where I went home. I was, I was crying to my mom. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. I just, I ran away from that. I didn't want to get in trouble. I ran away. And shortly thereafter, I remember a kid named Daniel. There was this, there was this gang, there was a gang and there were 14 of them. And they cornered me in the playground about a week or so later. And uh, they surrounded me. And my dad taught me a very valuable lesson. He said to me one time, he said, son, you're always going to have people looking at you if you're a leader, if you're achieving in sports, achieving grades, people are always going to look at you. And some people aren't going to like that you're succeeding and they're going to want to tear you down. And the way this is going to show up for you, he's like teaching me how to be a chess player already. And I'm already a really good chess player in the sixth grade. You know, he's saying to me that, son, if you ever find yourself into a fight where there's a gang around you, a crowd around you, and they're all uh, after you, they're all going to attack you, then here's what you have to do. There's no other way to do this. You have to do this. You have to go straight up to the big alpha person, the leader of that gang, and you got to punch him right square in the nose. Uh, you've got to go and confront the, the leader. Got to do that. So when Daniel and his 13 friends cornered me in the playground and he slapped the heck out of me, and uh, laughing, and they're all kind of laughing. My mind goes to my dad, where I'm terrified at the moment, but I realize I've got to punch <clears throat> this leader right in the nose. So I go up to Daniel right after that, right in the middle of all this crew of people, and I punch Daniel right in the nose. Uh, and everyone stands there. They're like staring, like, what the heck just happened? They're not like jumping on me. They're all just staring, like, what just happened? And then, Scott, I took off, and I ran <laughs> like freaking michael johnson with his gold shoes i ran like uh, carl lewis back in the day these were the people i'm watching running growing up i ran so freaking fast i ran about 56 seconds around a track uh i think i could have actually been a track star i remember running around this track and getting away and i look back you asked the dad question he gave me a couple of real good pieces of advice on how to deal with bullies so after that i never got bullied again 
never got bullied again after that. Uh, in fact, I became the protector of all people that got bullied after that. Nice. But that was that was the advice. And best advice. thing, that was the best thing you think you're doing for your kids. We are living our family values, and I am intentionally implanting mantras or repetitive affirmations in their mind. Example, uh, I can do hard things. Uh, what can you do? What, what can you do? I can do hard things too. They, they repeat that after me. Uh, we always do a lot of one, two, three, drink on. You know, we, we always have a lot of celebration of the standard of living up to drink on. Uh, and I'm teaching them the one thing that I wish I would have had growing up, I didn't have a little patience and grace with myself when I didn't reach or achieve that highest level that I expected, because there's a lot of self-judgment and self-critical in here, a lot of perfectionism that I've worked through a lot with coaching, uh, with being coached. And I don't want them to be burdened with that, what Dan Sullivan would call, Ben Hardy would call the gap thinking, where it's never enough. I always want more. I can never achieve enough. I want them to be grounded in the present. So when I do a miracle morning six days a week, my daughter Lily does it with me probably two or three times a week. Awesome. You know, I invite them to do the affirmations with me, to do the you know, the reading with me. I do a live stream on my podcast channels every day, you know, 7 a.m. Eastern. And they come and they jump in sometimes and I don't yell at them and get mad at them. We just make it fun. And I feel that modeling, just being cool, calm, collected, and serious about achieving what you want, but not not being so serious, you don't give yourself some patience and grace. I feel I'm doing really well at that. Time will tell. I feel I'm good at that. And they're getting the benefit of that. It's awesome. And my favorite question, which I keep threatening to move to the beginning of the podcast, because I think you can learn so much about a person. What's your favorite movie and why? Favorite movie and why? Well, I will start with, uh, I love 300. I love 300 so good. because if you, if you put me into any situation, I don't care what it is, I'm going to find a way to win. I'm going to find a way to defend and survive if I can. But my whole coaching practice is about offense and defense, playing offense, playing defense. What's your defense to make sure you're protected for the downside and anything that could happen next, economy, relationship, tragedy in the family. What's your defensive play there so you're prepared, at least as much as you can be. And then what's your offense? You know, and 300 – they played strong offense and defense, and I, I loved it. So 300 has got to be one. Any sales movie, I love, Scott. Uh, but 300 is the first one that comes up. Of course, I love Casino and everything with Joe Pesci. I love everything with Stallone. Right, right. Uh, this is a whole other podcast episode because you ask one movie, I'm going to talk about a 1,000 of them. But Yeah, yeah I, I know. But 300. 300 is so good. I, I, uh, I, I think these days are behind me, but I wish there was a day in my life where I had like one picture of me looking like any of the men in that movie because <laughs> they're just all <laughs> shredded. And I'm just like, man, why don't I just have one picture of me like one day in the army where I hadn't eaten for three days and I actually have abs. Um, but unfortunately, there was no camera phones back then. And it's that, that ship has sailed. Scott, I want to I want to just be be aggressive and bold here and throw one more movie out there because sure. this one has been so transformational for me to how I parent, and it's going to surprise people when I say this, but a movie that has really had an impact on me as a dad was Johnny Depp's movie Blow. Because I remember, and you want to get me to cry again? There's several ways to guarantee cry for Matt. The very end of the movie when he's making that tape for his son, or pardon me, for his dad. And he's saying, hey, dad, 
that very end, uh, I don't ever want to be imprisoned where I can't impact my kids, my family. So that might be one of the motivating things as to why. Uh, I mean, I think I'm good. I chose the side of the light, the force. I'm a Skywalker, not a Vader. Right. Uh, but I would say that I want to have an impact in a positive way on my family, on the world. And I, I get teared up every time I see that particular scene. It, it matters so much how we parent and how we show up for our families. And sometimes we take it for granted. And, you know, to make a long story even longer, thank you for your patience. One of my best friends, I've known him for more than half my life, met him a freshman in college, you know, which was literally 28 years ago. His mom suddenly died this week. Uh, I'm 45. He's 45. His mom died out of nowhere, um, got a cold, and four days later, she's dead. Oh. And I think that if there's any piece of advice someone takes away from this personally from our discussion, if you have a beef with someone or a chip on the shoulder, you've got to clear that before it's too late or be willing to deal with the consequences because I feel strong on the inside. I don't know if I feel like this right now, Scott. If I did not clear the air with my dad, he died on Memorial Day. Monday is Memorial Day every year. He died on Tuesday morning at 7.04 a.m. I saw him on Saturday that weekend before, and we had a lot of stuff we hadn't talked in months. And we cleared the air, played in a three-day golf tournament together, and everything was clear, and we were happy again. But we hadn't talked in a while because I was super stubborn and on my throne, and uh, I, I couldn't forgive him for actually being right. And I was wrong, but I couldn't forgive that. So I cleared the air, and then he died. I don't know where I'd be if I didn't do that. So clear the air with anyone that's important in our life. Uh, even if it's their fault and we have to go first, because that's what leaders do. We go first, even if it's hard. And that really, um, anyways, that was, that was something that was meaningful. I almost teared up right there thinking about it. So some good anyways, stuff, man. Where, that's where it. Were we? No, <laughs> that's where we were. We were both crying like, like small children. That's where we were. So man, that, that's why I knew, I knew we were going to get something great out of this, man, because I, I love you. You're honest. I always love when you share at the Front Row Dad events. Like, uh, it, it's it's a miss when you're not there. And um, are you going to be in Utah, by the way? I am. My wife's going to come up for the weekend, and uh, we're going to hang out with Phil B. and his wife and anyone else. I, I love to go and, and hang out. I hope that um, – is it is it Karina? Yeah. Karina? Karina, yeah. I hope Karina's there. I, hope, I look forward to meeting her. And, yeah, it's, um, a, it's a drive for us because uh, I don't even have to fly. So, yeah, I think I might – I think I might bring her up, have her drive home when once we get started. So, uh, or she'll come up afterwards. Yeah, let's let's make sure we connect before then, because I love you, man, and uh, can't wait to see you in Utah. And uh, thanks for being on. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, and uh, I am shameless, and I want to sell something right now. Can Go I for talk it. about myself for like thirty more seconds? Yeah, do whatever you want. This is my podcast logo and symbol on my microphone. For those of you watching on YouTube, and I know you have an amazing following, and I think it's because you're so handsome. But this is uh -huh. my following and this is my my logo it's called the eternal optimist podcast and our show is all about creating hope and you can do it too excuse me you can do it to attitude and i had an amazing front row dad on yesterday a man by the name of matthew christensen great guy uh, the episode's gonna air in like two months uh and he had me crying you know so i say i've cried more in the last 72 hours he talked about some uh, incredibly challenging things uh and i would just say that our show, the Eternal Optimist Podcast, it is something that I want to take worldwide. I want to help anyone who's having trouble breaking through trauma, breaking through that next level. Give them stories of successful people that have broken through because I, I promise you, anyone listening, that you, it may look like, hey, everything's easy for that person. 
Their yeah. life is great. You know, they're they're handsome, they're healthy, they all this is great, they're rich. You know, every person that has that uh, that stamp or label on them, I promise you, they're like a duck paddling underwater, incredibly hard, and they've overcome a lot. They've probably overcome more trauma and challenge and tragedy than most others. They've just found a way to keep going. And that's what eternal optimism is. It's learning while you're going through with a positive lens. It's learning how to overcome all the trauma, challenges, the things that hold you back, and convert those from negatives into teachers and positives. And those who listen to my show, that's what we do. Those who might be interested in coaching, then please reach out because that is part of under the waterline coaching, what we do in addition to helping with business strategy and growing companies, you know, we grow people too. So 7 a.m. every morning, Monday through Saturday, Instagram and Facebook, the Eternal Optimist podcast, check out the account and I uh, love to see you guys there and love to interact and always be real. So we'll make sure we link to brother. We'll make sure we link yeah. to all that, man. And uh, we'll let you know when this comes out. Awesome, man. Thank you. Love you. Have a great night, man.